Well, I don't know if you can think of your favorite sitcom TV show. I mean, for me, growing up in the late 80s and early 90s, it was shows like Full House and TGIF. You guys remember TGIF? You had Steve Urkel with Family Matters. We all grew up in different generations. We've all got our favorite sitcoms. Maybe yours is Leave It to Beaver, I Love Lucy, or Brady Bunch, or Cheers. Maybe it's Seinfeld, or Friends, or Scrubs, or Modern Family, or uh, something you watch on Netflix or on Hulu right now. Here's what I know about your favorite sitcom and mine. Whichever sitcom it is, it's about relationships, whether you realize it or not. You might even think, well, I'm kind of an introvert. I'm not really into relationships. But the reason you enjoy TV shows and movies about people is that we are created for relationships. Uh, Just like a Labrador retriever is created to run. I was out by a pond yesterday and this guy had a lab and the sun was shining and this lab was jumping in the water, was chasing these geese, its tail was wagging and that dog was just doing what it was created to do. And the reality is that you are created for relationships. And if you're not in healthy relationships, you're gonna lack peace You're going to lack purpose. You're going to lack fulfillment. But here's the tension in all of our lives. The tension in our lives is that just like our favorite sitcoms, we have dilemmas and predicaments, right? Think about your favorite sitcom, and you've got a cast of characters. Maybe they're a family. Maybe they're friends. But they're this group. And in that group, each person, they kind of belong. I mean, they've all got their quirks. They all make their mistakes but each one is accepted as they are, and each one belongs. And if you think about it, in every episode, they'll have some kind of conflict or dilemma or problem. You know, something bad is happening or someone makes a mistake. And really what every episode is, is them working through that. And part of what we enjoy about so many sitcoms is that by the time you get to the commercial break, the problem has been solved and everyone's hugging again, and everything's okay, and people forgave each other, and they fought for the relationship, and it's a beautiful thing. And we love it because that's what we want to experience in life. But sadly, very often in our lives, when those conflicts and those dilemmas and those predicaments come up, we sometimes don't fight through them, or sometimes they're not resolved And there are no commercial breaks where all of a sudden everyone's hugging and smiling and everything's okay. I was watching some funny videos with my kids over the weekend and we came across this hilarious video you guys have got to see that demonstrates the reality of conflict in our lives on a daily basis. It's a brother and sister fighting about some goldfish crackers. Are they crackers or are they cookies? You've got to see it and you have permission to laugh along with it, okay? Goldfish, cookies, not cookies. Goldfish, cookies, not cookies. Goldfish, cookies, not cookies. (laughs) They are cookies, not cookies.
I just love that. Oh, man. I love his body languages. He just gets madder and madder. And I love the point where he's just like, ah. You know, I mean, have we, have we not all been there in our marriages or in our workplace or in school? I mean, where the conflict goes on and on and you're finally just like, ah, enough. You know, like. So here's my question for you today. Who in your life are you fighting with? Who, who, who maybe it's about goldfish uh, or, you know, a lot of us as, as we grow up, you know, sometimes it's much more serious and there are deep wounds and there's legitimate concerns. But these, these conflicts are, are normal and they're inevitable. And here's the question that we're asking today. What can you do where you have a relationship that is strained or is fraying or is falling apart? What can you do when a relationship that, that you do value, but it's turned into a backseat fight over the goldfish, and it might be something much more serious than goldfish, but where there used to be harmony and there used to be joy, you're now just like, ah, enough. You know, where is it in your life? I want to encourage you to actually think of a specific person. Think of that person or that relationship, that situation, because as we go through God's word today, God wants to give you direction and advice and encouragement about that specific relationship. You know, there's times where we just wonder, what should I do? What could I do? I mean, kind of like that little guy with his goldfish crackers, you know, some people just seems like this is, this person is just being impossible, what, what can I do? And there's times we look at our relationships and it just seems hopeless and we feel stuck and it looks broken beyond repair and that thought of there being a nice resolution by the commercial break just seems totally impossible. Well, thankfully, we're not the first group of people to wrestle with this question. And as you think about this for that specific person in your life, I want to take you into the word of God to see his answer to this question. It's found in Colossians 3, and we're going to start in verse 12 where God says this, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Now, what does this mean, God chose you? Really, what it means is that this verse is written to followers of Christ. It's written to people who've had a moment in their life where they said, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I accept your free gift of salvation. And as we said during communion, if you haven't done that yet, you can do that today. You can call out to God in that way. But it's an important context because the things that God is going to tell us to do in this passage are actually impossible for us to do in our old human nature. In Colossians chapter 3, God's going to give us this picture that has to do with clothing. And he's going to say that you were born into an old nature. And just like when you've been working outside and your clothes are dirty or muddy or your clothes are dirty and sweaty from working out or exercising, you've just been wearing these clothes for a few days, your clothes are nasty, that's what our old sinful nature, God calls it, is like. We've got things like greed and unforgiveness and jealousy and pride and lust and, and these things kind of soil our clothes. And what God says is when you place your faith in Christ, he washes you and you're able to take off the old 
and he gives you a fresh pair of clothes and you're able to put on the new. And what we're going to see in Colossians 3 is this idea that really every day when we wake back up and our breath smells again and the kids are screaming again, we have a chance again to take off the old and put on the new. And when you show up to work or to school and there's that person who just, just you know, you can't get along with, it's another chance to take off the old and put on the new. And here's the thing, if we haven't trusted in Christ, if God doesn't live within us, we can't do this in our own strength. So as we go through the text, if you're thinking, man, I, you know, be humble, be patient, be tenderhearted, that all sounds cute, that's not me. Here's the thing, if you've placed your faith in Christ, it, it is you now. All you've got to do is make the choice to say, God, I do want to take off the old, I do want to put on the new and he'll help you. You know, if you're like me, you might look at this list and think, so is God expecting us to be perfect people? I mean, is God's solution to our relationship problem just be perfect? And the answer we're gonna see is no. God actually expects you to mess up. He expects me to mess up, not in a mean-spirited way, but in an honest and realistic way. God tells us he expects us to be imperfect because look at our next verse. It says this, make allowance for each other's faults, plural, faults. Make allowance, in other words, when your spouse has bad breath, you know, make allowance for it. Make allowance for the times that we will step on each other's toes, we will hurt each other's feelings, we will lose our tempers, we will, we will make mistakes. We all have flaws, we all have faults, and part of God's prescription for healthy relationships is saying, you know, be aware of that in the people around you. Don't be a perfectionist and expect them to never make a mistake or you're going to get really frustrated. And by the way, the more you make allowance for other people's faults, the more likely those people are going to be when you're the one who has a fault to make an allowance for you. And then God says this, forgive the really righteous, perfect people who only mess up every once in a while. Wait a minute. I think I read that wrong. Did I, did I read that wrong? It says, it says, forgive anyone who offends you. Honestly, as I've prayed about this passage and I've prayed about you guys and I've prayed about my own life, I've had some moments this week where I'm like, God, did you really have to put that in there? Forgive anyone who offends you? I mean, I can forgive the like pretty nice people who 99 times out of 100 get it right and they just messed up once. I have, I have no problem forgiving those people. It's the anyone, it, it's the jerks, it's the people who completely don't deserve to be forgiven. Are you telling me I'm supposed to forgive them? Are they anyone? Yes, they are. Okay, forgive anyone who offends you. Again, in our own strength, we can't do this. This isn't try harder. This is believe by faith, Christ lives in you. God, I can't forgive them, but you live in me and I know you already have forgiven them. So help me to believe and realize your forgiveness for them. Forgive anyone who hurts you. Why? Well, here's why. Because the Lord forgave you and me when we didn't deserve it. And so that's why we must also forgive others. Next verse says this, 14, above all, Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect unity. You know, I, I noticed today looking out that all of you, everyone in this room, put on clothes. 
And I just want to say thank you for that. I don't take it for granted, okay? Here's the thing about putting on clothes. You know, we don't think of it as that big of a deal, but really there's a volitional choice, right? You either opened a drawer or you opened a closet or you pulled something off a hanger and you decided, you know, am I going to wear my Indianapolis Colts sweatshirt? Am I going to wear my favorite jeans? If you're maybe not making great life decisions, you might have decided I'm going to wear my Ohio State sweatshirt. (laughs) I kid. I kid, if you're an Ohio State fan, you are loved and welcomed and wanted here, okay? I actually married an Ohio State fan, okay? So I'm definitely joking. And, and it, please make allowance for my faults, okay? <laughs> that I am a, I'm a U, U of M fan, so make allowance for my faults. But here's the deal. You chose some clothes, and then you used your arms and your legs, and you put those clothes on. And what God is saying is there's an intentionality to clothing yourself. You know, sometimes you meet people and they're like, well, I'm just angry all the time because I'm authentic. You know, that's who I I am angry, so I'm not gonna pretend like I'm not. Now, God doesn't tell us to stuff our emotions or to deny them, but he does say to take off the old, so deal with the anger and take it off and put on the new. And going through life and just just being a jerk to everyone, just saying, well, I'm just going to be who I am. It's kind of like waking up and not putting clothes on. And as much as you might like how you look in the mirror without clothes on, do the world a favor and keep putting clothes on, okay? And in the same way, just have this intentionality of saying, I, I'm going to be intentional to take off where, where I'm angry, where I'm impatient, where I'm unforgiving. I'm going to, just like I would put my dirty clothes in the dirty clothes, I'm going to, by the power of God, put those things in the dirty clothes, and I'm going to put on these new clothes that Christ provided for me. Uh, And the most important garment of those, he says, is love. It's like this idea of you've got these different layers of clothes, but the outer layer is love. Love is the most important one. It's when we have God's love for others that we're able to be patient and forgiving and tenderhearted and kind and gentle. And by the way, here's what I've learned about that love. I can't work it up in myself. Some people are unlovable to me, but God has love for the unlovable. So what I do when someone is unlovable, I say, God, fill me up with your love. First, fill me up with your love for myself and your creation. And then God, give me your love for those people around me. So we put them on like clothes And then verse 15 says this, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, that's us as a movement, you know, some are a pinky, some are an eyeball, some are a bladder, some are a toe, some are an elbow. We're a body and we need each other, just like characters on a sitcom need each other. You are called to live in peace. We all, we need each other's help. We need each other's wisdom and perspective and gifts and skills and always be thankful. It doesn't say feel thankful. God never commands you to feel thankful or to feel joyful or to feel at peace. But he does, for our own good, at times command us to be thankful. What does that mean? It means even when you don't feel thankful, you can get out a piece of paper and you can write down some specific things and people and situations for which you're thankful. And you say, God, I'm choosing to be thankful even though I don't feel thankful. And then our text says this, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. I want to stop there for just a second because what does that really mean? 
And what is the message about Christ? Well, the message about Christ, sometimes we use the word gospel as a summary for this. It's really this message that the creator God loves you. He came to the world in the person of Jesus. He died on the cross for you. And here's the deal. As you grow in the Christian life, God's love for you in the world, it's not just some hypothetical thing. You start to see it in different situations. In other words, when you're falsely accused, you now have a chance to understand how Jesus was falsely accused and say, okay, God, I want to respond like Jesus in this situation. Where someone in your life who you love legitimately sins in a way that wrongs you and hurts you, you now have a chance to understand how Jesus felt when he went on the cross and carried our sins upon him. And what this is saying is, as you go through your relationships, if you're constantly tapping back into God, what does this mean to you, how do I be like Jesus? It brings a richness to your relationships and they never get boring because there's always a little bit more nuance to here's how Jesus would do this. And here's what I mean, bear with me. You could live to 200 years old and you could be on your 201st birthday blowing out, that's a lot of candles, right? And at the age 201, you could still be learning with your great, 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 great grandkids and with your spouse you've been married to for 180 years, here's what God's love looks like in another situation. It never gets old if if we've got a learning posture. Does that make sense? That's what that richness is. This richness that any situation I ever find myself in, whether I'm the victim or I'm the one who did the wrong, the work of Christ on the cross in that message, that good news of God's love, I I can experience it in a new way in that relationship. Okay, then it says teach and counsel each other. So we're in relationship with other Christians with all the wisdom he gives. Here's what I think God would have you do in that situation. That We're having those conversations with each other. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with a thankful heart. And then our final verse of our text says this, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. In other words, I'm not just a dad with my kids, but I'm thinking, God, how do I be a representative of Jesus to my daughter? How do I be a representative of Jesus to my son? Now, if you're like me, you're never gonna do this perfectly. But the goal is that you're at least striving toward this. You've got times where you're thinking, what does it look like to be a representative of Jesus to my spouse or to my in-laws? or to my boss, or my coworkers, or my classmates. So we asked this question at the beginning of our time, what can you do when your relationship is strained or falling apart? And I encouraged you to think of a specific person. And here's God's answer for that specific person. In Christ, you can find the pattern and the power for healthy relationships. What's the pattern? The pattern is what to do. Here's what it looks like. And the power is the strength to do it. So for that person, that strained or broken relationship today, as you're seeking God even now, he will show you from his word, here's what to do and here's how to do it. In Christ, you can find the answer of what to do and how to do it. Now we can't control other people's hearts in our relationships. We can't control how they respond to us but we can control our half of it. And what God is gonna tell us in his word today is here's how you 
be responsible for your half of it, to make sure with your half of it that you're living like Christ. And I want to encourage you. Some of us know people who their life is a trail of broken relationships. Now, all of us have strained relationships, and all of us will have some where the other person is just kind of like that sister in the backseat of the car with the goldfish. Impossible. You know, so we'll all have some, when we look back on our lives, relationships that there was nothing we could do to fix it. But some people, sadly, you look at their life and their whole life is a trail of broken and discarded relationships. And nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to die a lonely person when all my relationships are broken. You know, ex-spouses and my kids won't talk to me. I, I want to die that way. N no one wakes up and says that. How do people get there? Well, they get there by never changing their clothes. They get there because anger and unforgiveness and jealousy and greed and lust, those come naturally to us. Those are like our birthday suit. You know, it's just totally natural to be unforgiving and to be a jerk. And, and some people never learn to take off the old and put on the new. And here's the thing. God has something so much better for you. Because here's the other reality. That's the, the bleak, grim reality if we neglect our relationships, if we don't try to do it God's way. But here's what you gotta know. If you will make the effort to do it God's way, you can get to the end of your life and you can look back. And yes, there'll always be those people who are impossible, but you can have a trail. You can have a parade of relationships where you fought for the relationship. And there was redemption, and there was forgiveness, and there was humility, and there were tears that turned to laughter, and what seemed impossible became possible, and what seemed broken beyond repair was repaired. Why? Because you trusted God's power to do the impossible, and you couldn't control that other person, but you did control yourself, and you said, I am going to take off the old, and I am going to put on the new. And so that's the first of three really quick things I want to encourage you with today. First, in your relationships, you can follow Christ's example. You can do it. As a follower of Christ, you have the spirit of God within you. You've got a few thousand cheerleaders here in this church who are encouraging you. You can do this. You can follow Christ's example. Now, will you do it perfectly if you're like me? No, you'll have lots of times where you fall down, but you get back up and you keep going. We often say here that God's expectation of us in the Christian life is not perfection, but it is consistency. So we fall down a lot, but we get up and we keep going a lot. It's not about never falling down. It's about getting back up and keep going. We'll all still lose our tempers someday. I mean, just yesterday, I was at home. I may have been in the bathroom having some quiet time. And above me, the second floor of our house, I hear it sounds like someone has a wrecking ball and they're just throwing it at the floor. And I'm like, the floor is going to break. What is going on above me? And maybe you've been here if you're a parent where you try to yell up the stairs, you know, through the bathroom door, up the stairs, down the hall to the people who are above you. You're like, hey, hey cut it out up there. I mean, it sounded, you know what I realized they were doing? They were jumping off the bunk bed. They're all three of them. Climb up on top of the bunk bed, jump off, boom. Over all three of them, one after another. And so I'm yelling up the stairs. And of course, no one can hear me except for me. And later I found out that Mel heard me. And I'm just like, 
totally losing my temper. I'm acting like the house is going to fall down. It sounded like it was going to fall down. And later on, once I finally get out of the bathroom, Mel's like, hey, you kind of broke your own rule about not yelling in the house. It's like, yeah, I did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we, all, we all have flaws. We all lose our temper at times. We're all going to make mistakes. So this idea that you can follow Christ's example doesn't mean you're never going to mess up. But every time you can mess up, guess what? As a follower of Christ, it's already forgiven. And you get back up and you go to your kids and you say, hey, you didn't hear me lose my temper. Maybe you did. I did lose my temper. Also, don't jump off the bunk bed like that. You're going to break our house, okay? But the point is this. We make mistakes. We get back up. But you got to know. You got to believe. Guess what? Christ's way of doing relationships, that is who you are now. The old you is gone. The new you has come. You don't have to walk around in dirty clothes anymore. You can be patient when your nature wouldn't be patient. You can be forgiving when your nature wouldn't be forgiving. You can do this. In fact, I want us together to say, I can do this. Will you guys say it with me? I can do this, okay? I want you to think, really think about that person in your life, that broken relationship where it seems irreparable and it's, it's, there's just so many emotions around it and you've thought of that person and we're reading the word of God and you're like, yeah, okay, God, I think you're starting to show me what to do or how to do it. Uh, I want you to think of that person and say it again with me. I can do this. Let's do it. I can do this. You can be like Christ in that relationship. You really can. God wants to encourage you in that today. I want to encourage you in that today. Verse nine of our text says this. Don't lie to each other. For you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. This comes after some verses that talk about what's the old nature, that it's greed, it's lust, it's unforgiveness, it's, it's all those old things. And it says, strip those off, throw them in the dirty clothes, and put on your new nature. And be renewed. That's a, a, something that God does. He renews us one day at a time as you learn. You see how that is continual? It's not saying, well, if you're a really good Christian, you will have it down and you won't have to learn anymore. No, every one of us at our 201st birthday will still be learning. Here's what it looks like to know my creator. And here's what it looks like to become like him in my marriage, with my in-laws, with my classmates, with my siblings, with all the different relationships around me. Now, most of you know that I'm a car guy. So when I see a verse that says, strip off the old, put on the new, here is what I think of. I think of a car restoration. This is actually the same Shelby Mustang. Old, new, unrestored, restored. Now here's the thing with a car restoration like this. You've got thousands of parts. Every single part, every single bolt, every single suspension bushing, the speedometer, the tachometer, every part is going to come off. And every part is going to be sandblasted and stripped down. The rust and the corrosion is going to get knocked off of it. It's going to get repainted and refurbished. And then all, all those parts, one at a time, are going to get put back on. Now, here's the thing. When you date someone, when you marry someone, when you get a new job and you have a, a different boss or coworker, we all are in this condition at the beginning. We don't like to think that of ourselves, but we're all unrestored. And as we believe in Christ, there's this continual renewal that's happening one day at a time. We're saying, I'm going to take off the old. I'm going to put on the new. And as you are faithful, God does the work, but you've got to use your will to say, God, show me what old I need to take off today 
Show me what new I need to put on today. And as you do that, one part at a time, he's refurbishing you, he's restoring you into a masterpiece. And so when we know this about ourselves, one, it gives us some patience. If you look in the mirror and you see this spiritually, you know that you're not, you're not a dud, you're not a throwaway, you're normal, you're a normal Christian, we've all got areas to work on. But when God sees you, he sees this potential and if you'll allow him to keep taking off the old, putting on the new, this is where you'll end up. And what starts to happen in a marriage or in our other close Christian relationships is we start to cheer each other along. Instead of having a perfectionist standard and saying, why isn't my spouse on year one of our marriage like this? We start to realize, oh, all of us, our spouse on year one of our marriage is like this. And we start to cheer each other along and say, hey, babe, I see you making so much progress I see you growing and we cheer and encourage each other instead of beating each other up for not being perfect. We applaud each other's successes. We celebrate each other's virtues and we encourage each other as Christ continues to make us the new creations. And part of how you get from here to here is you have an example. You know, with a car restoration, you know what the original looked like or you even have a manual that says, here's what you do. And in our lives, we have that example, first and foremost in Christ. And that's why we read his word. And, and if you don't yet have a life application study Bible, we've got them out at our Connection Corner as well as in our library. What I love about this Bible is in the back, you can look up topics like anger, forgiveness, marriage, work, any kind of relationship you have, and it'll take you right to passages like the one we're studying today. And, and so we look to that as the pattern but there's a second thing we can look to, and that is other Christians who are also in the restoration process, and some of them are further along than us. And so point two on your notes is this. In my relationships, I can follow the pattern of Christ-like examples. So if I'm in a marriage, I can look to other people who are married, and I can say, hey, how did you get to a place where you're, she's so aware of your needs? How did you guys get there? You're so aware of her feelings. How did you guys get there? Man, she seems like so respectful to you. How did you guys get there? You seem so loving to her. How did you guys get there? And here's the thing. You will find that the couples who seem to have the perfect marriage or the parents who seem to have the perfect kids, they've done a lot of taking off the old. There's been a lot of sandblasting and corrosion and hard work to get where they are. And part of us living as a Christian community is we share those learnings with each other. You know, what this looks like for me, you might remember in our text, there was a verse that said to teach and counsel each other with all of his wisdom. What does that look like in my life? Here's what that looks like. When Mel and I get in a fight, now if you've seen Mel, I mean, she's perfect woman, so I don't know how I ever get in a fight with her, but I do. Okay, I get in fights with her. We have, we have disagreements like anyone does. And so what, what does it look like for me to, to apply this? Well, it looks like me calling up one of my buddies and saying, hey, you know, here's the fight. Here's what's going on. Here's what she says. Here's what she says I did. Here's how she says she feels. Here's how I feel. I'm so frustrated. What should I do? And having some Christian brothers or sisters who you can call up and you can just be totally real and they can say, oh man, that's really hard. And then that verse says, teach and counsel each other with all of his wisdom. 
So you want to call a Christian who's not just going to say, oh, well, you know, I was watching a TV talk show and they said to do this, or I was reading a magazine that said to do this. You want to have some brothers and sisters in your life who say, oh man, I've been there and here's what God taught me and here's how it worked in our marriage. Or I know another guy in our small group, here's what they did in their marriage. And I'd encourage you, you know, God says, be forgiving. You, you got to forgive her, man. Uh, or you, you've got to just humble yourself. Yeah, you're, you're right about what you're saying. But you just got to humble yourself and just swallow your pride. And, and you get that counsel and that advice from other brothers or other sisters. And so it means having some people like that you can call. And usually that starts through our small groups or it might start where you're serving here. If you get serving in an area, you'll start to have those other Christians around you who've got some life experience. And it also includes when you get the call, taking a moment to say, okay, God, what's your answer to this? I don't just want to say, here's what I did or here's what I would do, but what does the word of God say? Here's another way to put it. Watch and learn from people whose relationships have been radically changed by Christ. Watch and learn from people whose relationships have been changed. There's this assumption in the passage we read that living out the Christian life happens in a fabric of relationships. Yes, you believe in Christ as a very independent, solo, individualistic thing. That faith in Christ, only you're in your heart of hearts knowing what you believe. But if you really want to grow and you really want to become a mature Christian, you've got to have relationships with other Christians. That's why serving in small groups and gathering on weekends like this are so important. That's where we make those relational connections. Watch and learn from people whose relationships have been changed people who have been married or people who are doing a great job as parents. You know, I, I learned this as a, a reporter, actually, in my journalism career. Right when I finished my undergrad and I started writing at a newspaper, I found some reporters around the country who were doing the same kind of investigative journalism I wanted to do, and I would read every story they wrote. And then I would call them or I'd email them and say, how did you get that quote? How did you know the guy wakes up at 3.15 a.m.? How did you get that information? And I would learn from them. And by the way, that's something you can do whatever trade you're in. You can find those people who are further along. And if you call them up and say, will you mentor me? You'll, you'll scare them. So don't say that. Just call them up and say, hey, can I ask you a few questions? And they'll answer them for you. People who are successful are usually really happy to pass along answers to specific questions. And just like you can do that in your career, you can do that as a dad. You know, a lot of us, we didn't have a great dad example growing up. And so it's like, man, I want to be a good dad, but I don't know what it looks like. Well, one thing you can do is you can find good dads and you can ask them, what does it look like? How do you do that? How do you have that kind of relationship with your son or with your daughter? Or find that person who's been married for 30 or 40 years and their marriage is great and say, how did you guys get there? And you'll find they work through all sorts of stuff. Here's the thing, everyone who knows how to walk is a person who fell down a lot as a toddler. You can't learn how to walk without falling down. Everyone who knows how to ride a bike is a person who fell down a lot on a bike. And everyone you find who's got an amazing looking marriage or amazing looking kids, they have fallen down a lot. And so don't make the standard that you never fall down. Make the standard that you get back up. 
and be part of a group of people like we are here that says, you can do this. We're your spiritual training wheels. We want to run alongside you with our hand on the seat and we say, you got this. You can do this. You can follow Christ. You can follow Christ like examples. You were made for this. Third step as we grow in our relationships is that obedience, obeying, acting on our knowledge unlocks God's power for these healthy relationships. Obeying unlocks God's power. You've maybe noticed as we've walked through this scripture a number of action words or verbs. Every one of these actions is a choice. Will you do it or not? In fact, in the short verses we've read, there have been nine of these actions. Let's look at just four of them. Here's four of the actions that we read. It said to make allowance for each other's faults. So no matter which Big Ten team you cheer for, you still love the people who cheer for another team. When your spouse has bad breath, when your spouse, you know what, there's certain things your spouse does that they're just gonna do for the rest of their life and you can either be upset about it every day or you can just say, I'm just gonna accept my spouse will always have bad breath or whatever else it is, okay? Forgive, clothe yourselves with love. We talked about you know taking off the old, putting on love as the outer garment, letting the peace of Christ rule in your heart. See how each of these, that's an action, make, forgive, clothe, let. That's four of nine action words that we've read. Now, here's what I want to ask for that person you thought of at the beginning of our time where there's a strained or afraid or a broken relationship. And we've said, Jesus, I want to look to you to be my pattern. Show me what to do and be my power. Give me the strength to do it. I'm guessing for a lot of us, as the Holy Spirit has been working, I don't know the name of that person. I don't know the details of the situation, but I'm guessing one of these four things, or maybe it's the asking advice from more mature Christians or maybe it's putting off the lust or putting off the greed. I would guess, actually I know that the Holy Spirit is tugging and tapping in different hearts around this room and you know that person and now you know one action, just one, just God, show me the one thing I need to do. And here's the thing, obedience unlocks the power. I won't ask for a raise of hands because it's a little bit embarrassing, but has anyone else ever locked their keys in their car or locked yourself out of your house? You guys know what I'm talking about? And you, you're there at your own car pulling on the handle. Maybe you can even see the keys in the center console and it's just this bizarre feeling. Or you're locked out of your own house and it's this bizarre feeling. Then you start to realize that this one little metal key is what accesses all that power. When you think of a car and how powerful it is and that that one key accesses all that power. Now, here's the thing in our spiritual lives. Knowing Christ's pattern will enable healthy relationships. Once you know, here's how Christ would forgive or here's what he would do, but it's obeying that unlocks the power, right? Knowing it is like having the new car in the driveway. Obeying it is like putting the key in the ignition. And so the question for you and me today with that person, with that relationship, is the obedience question. One of my friends says this. He says that obedience is the organ of spiritual growth. Just like your heart is the organ that pumps your blood and your lungs is the organ, are the organ that make you breathe, obedience is the organ that produces spiritual growth, not just knowledge, knowledge acted upon in faith by obedience. 
with obedience, we put the power to the pavement, as it were, in our relationships. So I just want to close by giving us a little time to think about that person and to remember, let's look back at our big idea, Christ gives us the pattern and he gives us the power to have healthy relationships. Now, some of you, you, you're still thinking, God, I don't know, it's still cloudy. I still don't know what to do. If that's you, that's okay, that's normal. And join me this week in reading through Colossians 3 and just keep asking God, God, what should I do? Look to Christ for the pattern. He'll show you what to do. Many of us already, just in this 30-some minutes together, we know what we need to do. And what we need is the power. And the power is gonna come through faith that says, God, I will step out and do my part. I will forgive or I will take off the old and put on the new. I will do my part. And if you will show up with obedience, you will see God's power. He wants to supernaturally restore and redeem your relationships in ways that can only happen by the power of God. So I wanna pray that for you right now. Let's pray it together. Father, across this room, we come to you in faith, Lord believing that you are the creator who spoke our earth into existence. You are the God who rose Jesus from the dead and you're a God who does miracles today and God, you wanna do miracles in marriages that are represented in this room. You wanna do miracles with in-laws and with estranged kids and daughter-in-laws and Lord, with ex-spouses and coworkers and classmates people who've wronged us, people who've hurt us. And Lord, we can't control them in their hearts, but we can control ourselves. And Lord, you have given us this pattern because you want to see us thriving. Lord, not every relationship will be resolved by the commercial break, but you do have the power to resolve and redeem so much more than we expect in our lives. And so, Lord, would you make us a people? We want to look back at the end of our lives. We want to have a parade and a trail of relationships that we fought for and we cried together and we saw victories and redemption and we know and trust and love. We don't want to look back on a life that is just littered with broken and thrown away relationships. So God, around this room where each of us have thought of that one person, Holy Spirit, would you just reveal what to do for each of us? Is it forgiveness? Is it patience? Is it seeking the wisdom from some more mature Christians who've been through it? Is it putting off the old and God, I've really got to deal with that anger. I've really got to deal with that lust or with that unforgiveness. And is it putting on the new? God, you know what it is for each person. Just Holy Spirit, just, just drill it into our hearts. And then God, what we, what we tell you, what we commit to you is we will step out and do. We will obey. We will act upon what you've told us to do. And Lord, we do so not trying to earn our salvation or do it in our strength, but trusting that you provide the power. You wash the clean clothes. All we got to do is put them on. And so Lord, around this room, I just pray that everyone in here would know they are your son, they are your daughter by their faith in you. And it's because we're your children that these new relationships, this is now who we are. So help us this week to live it out. And right now, Lord, we just want to cement all this by singing to you and saying, we are the children of God. We worship you now in this way.